637 Seattle's Morning News. A child who needs a family and a family who wants a child. Cairo News Radio's Charity of the Month is the Gift of Adoption Fund. A child in pigtails and a pink sweater singing. The sounds of a busy orphanage in China surround her. The six-year-old girl and a four-year-old boy at this orphanage would eventually be adopted by a Western Washington family. When we saw the pictures of Carly and Emmett, we knew immediately that they were ours. Carrie and Eric Olson had three nearly grown biological children, but had more love to give. And they say the two children at the Chinese orphanage needed them. Technical term is special needs um, because that... Frankly, it reduced their likelihood of being adopted. We knew Carly would need an amputation when we adopted her, and we knew Emmett was missing an arm. Um, We did not know Emmett needed an amputation. Emmett, who's now nearly 13, explains. I have a prosthetic. Mm -hmm. I have it because my leg was crooked, so we had to get part of it cut off. The couple knew they would face significant medical bills on top of the price of adoption itself. And that's kind of where we come in. Umi Bakari is with Gift of Adoption Washington. We provide adoption assistance grants for families to kind of help them adopt vulnerable children and give them opportunities to have new families and to thrive as well. For families, things like adoption agency, application, legal fees and travel, those can all add up into the tens of thousands of dollars before medical and other costs. Bakari says the nonprofit doesn't cover the entire cost of an adoption, but the help is significant. At the end of the day, the amount of money that we provide kind of covers 15 to 20 percent of the total budget that most families have for the adoption process. She says families can apply for grants online. Those are reviewed by volunteers who distribute 100 percent of the money raised by gift of adoption to families. That's the financial support. The moral support is ongoing. Like the family, the Olsons, we approved their grant in 2014, 2022, and we still keep in touch with them. The fact that they're supporting you and saying go for it and cheering you on, they become a part of our story. <laughs> a story of making families complete by making the adoption of kids like Carly and Emmett possible. Can you imagine life without him? Not, no, at, not at, all. at all. Heather Bosch, Cairo News Radio. This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. RSV, the unpronounceable virus, is spreading like crazy. Let's page the doctor. Paging Dr. Cohen. Dr. Gordon Cohen, MD. And people are starting to talk about uh, masking up again, Dr. Cohen. What do you think? There is talk of masking up. There's also talk of, you know, different types of social distancing. In fact, even last month, there was a school that closed in Indiana because they had too many cases of RSV and the flu. And you and I talked about this before, sort of at the beginning of RSV, that this was going to become a potential problem. Well, it's a much bigger problem than I think anyone ever anticipated. You know, there has historically been a a flu season. That's why we get the flu shot at a specific time during the year. And there's also historically been an RSV season that coincided with the flu season. Now we've sort of got a trifecta because we also are seeing some rise in the number of COVID cases at the same time that we're being overwhelmed with RSV and the flu. 
And so the CDC is sort of dancing around the language they're using. They're not, you know, mandating people to uh, wear masks right now, but they're strongly recommending it. What are the stakes here? Is RSV, is it deadly? So RSV can be deadly in, you know, young children and in immunocompromised adults. But for the most part, many of us get RSV on a fairly regular basis with sort of just cold-like symptoms, and it's not a big deal. Now what's happening is that the hospitals are being overwhelmed with admissions because of the three illnesses occurring simultaneously, two of which we've had around forever, the flu and RSV, but now we've added the COVID on top of it, and it's becoming problematic again. So again, is it, is it safe to say that the people who need to be most careful are are compromised some way, their immune system is compromised, and presumably older people? That's correct, and that's always been a, you know, a recommendation. That's not a new recommendation. That's always been the recommendation. But look, in, you know, in the pediatric population, we've always had the intensive care units uh, sort of filled with uh, RSV patients and flu patients during the RSV and flu seasons. So that's not anything new, but now it's an overwhelming number because, you know, kids haven't been exposed. And so now kids are getting much sicker than they have in the past. And there's just more of them. You know, I think we have to use common sense. I think, you know, when people are sick, they need to stay home. In some cases, it's going to be very difficult because if you're a parent who has kids that go to school, they're going to likely bring it home and you're, you're, you know, have a very good chance of getting it or your, their siblings getting it or whatnot. But, you know, we can't really force the issue. I don't think we should be forcing people to wear masks. I think we're going to create a problem by doing that. You know, I do think that people should get the flu shot every year, especially it seems like this year is a good year uh, to get it because it looks to be uh, quite effective. And the CDC is trying to encourage, strongly encourage people to get the COVID vaccine. And if you do feel you're vulnerable, the good part is there are, as far as I can tell, plenty of N95 masks available uh, anywhere you want to buy them. So if you if you if you're worried about it, just just buy a top of the line mask and wear it. You're free to do that. Yeah, yeah. There's no shortage of masks yeah. now. You can find them anywhere and even in excess. But yeah, that's right. I mean, again, it, it's a personal thing. If you feel that you're vulnerable, put a mask on and 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 wear it. And that's sort of what the CDC is saying now. I mean, certainly if you're vulnerable, you just that that's a, a pretty solid recommendation. But I think for the average person, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting, you know, sort of the, a continuous low level uh, exposure in the community to viruses to build up uh, a natural immunity that way. I will say this, and, it, and it's maybe it's just me, but I get sniffles from time to time and I immediately think, oh, my gosh, I've I finally gotten COVID. I, I guess I guess the whole this whole the last two years has made me kind of paranoid. I mean, I think that's a common feeling that many people experience, myself included. COVID has made us all a bit paranoid and maybe rightfully so, because, you know, if we do have it, we don't certainly want to infect other people. But then again, it should be that way with any cold we get or any other sort of viral illness. But I guess for our own sake, I mean, I think most people now have, you know, COVID testing kits around the house. I think we've gotten this habit now of of checking ourselves all the time. But I think we can take real comfort in the numbers 
knowing that, you know, there's less hospitalizations, people are getting less ill, there's far, 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 far less deaths, so that COVID is really becoming more and more like a, it appears to be becoming more and more like a, you know, regular seasonal upper respiratory illness similar to those that we've had in the past. The question that will remain unanswered is, will the less lethal forms of variants of, of COVID, will they actually cause other problems down the line? Will you develop long COVID symptoms as a result of that? And I think, you know, we don't know because this is a, a dynamic process. We're learning as we go and the information is being generated as we go. And we're not going to really have answers for some time. Dr. Gordon Cohen, MD. Dr. Cohen, thank you. Thanks, Dave. Trade Commission appears not to like the idea of Microsoft acquiring Activation Blizzard. Activision, Activision Blizzard. Activision Blizzard is the company behind video games like The Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Candy Crush. This deal is worth $69 billion. Our senior gaming correspondent, Sam Campbell, is uh, here now to join us. Just first of all, describe your qualifications as senior gaming correspondent. (laughs) Well, thanks, Dave. I'm happy to. I have an Xbox, a PlayStation, and I have a gaming PC. Wow. And here's why I did this. Here's why I bought pretty much all of the major ones. In the past, gamers chose what games to buy depending on what console they owned. So some titles that were available for PlayStation, you really just couldn't get anywhere else. And the same goes for Xbox and so on. But increasingly, that's really not the dynamic anymore. The same games are becoming available on multiple platforms. So it's putting pressure on the tech businesses to offer unique content there because why go buy a new PlayStation whose prices, you know, years after release are still inflated by scalpers and scarcity when I can get the same game on a cheaper, more available Xbox. So keep that in mind while considering this. Microsoft has come to a tentative deal to acquire Activision for about $69 billion, and uh, the FTC is suing to block the deal, saying it's harmful to competition in the video game marketplace. But to understand why it's a big deal, figuratively and literally, you have to know how this affects things for consumers. Activision makes some of the most well-known and highest-grossing video games in the world. You may have heard of Call of Duty. Uh, Multiple video game news sites reported last June that the Call of Duty series has made $30 billion over the course of its lifetime. And according to Fortune magazine, the the latest installment of that series brought in $1 billion just in 10 days after its release. So to say Activision is a big player in the industry is kind of an understatement. They're one of the largest publishers in the world for video games. And for context, Activision bought another huge gaming company uh, over a decade ago, Blizzard. That company made World of Warcraft. So that takes us to Microsoft, which is well within the top five gaming publishers in the world. I, as well as any other gamer, can tell you for a little while now, Microsoft's gaming division has been leaning hard into a new business model. It's a streaming subscription service. It's called Game Pass. If you're hearing that and you're wondering what what that is, you know, what is this Game Pass? Think Netflix or Hulu, where you pay a flat fee every month and you get access to hundreds of titles. It's like that, and it lets players download things to try them out on the fly. Except with those movies and television streaming services like Netflix and Hulu, there's a lot of them. There's the ones I mentioned. There's Disney+, Plus, Amazon Prime, HBO Max. You get it. The consumer has options. With the gaming streaming services, there's really not as many. There's maybe two or three major ones aside from Microsoft's Game Pass, the largest being the one for Sony's PlayStation. 
So with Microsoft getting Activision, it's kind of like if Netflix and who only had Hulu as a primetime competitor and decided to buy Universal Studios or 20th Century Fox. And if Microsoft owns the publisher, they get to decide whether those games are exclusive to their own platforms. Uh-huh. Now, if you're a gamer but you don't own an Xbox or a gaming PC, you've got a lot more to consider about how you're going to go get those games you want. And the FTC cited this exact dynamic in its lawsuit arguing Microsoft has a pattern of buying publishers, which gives it the, quote, means and motive to harm competitors by manipulating prices or by withholding the content. All things the FTC says will ultimately hurt the consumer in the end. So has Microsoft, do they have a comeback to this uh, allegation that they're just here to monopolize the market? I haven't seen any official uh, statement from Microsoft leaders, but I do know Activision leaders have sent a letter to staff saying that, you know, this is, uh, these facts aren't right. And, you know, this is not going to uh, be a, an antitrust issue. So they're, they're just kind of disputing it. But it is interesting to note that, you know, this FTC lawsuit came, it wasn't completely a surprise. There were rumors floating around. And after those rumors spiked, uh, Microsoft announced that they would enter a 10-year commitment to make Activision's largest title, Call of Duty, available for video game players on Nintendo's Switch consoles, mm-hmm. which if you are a Nintendo Switch player, uh, a shooter game like Call of Duty doesn't really come to mind for that console. So it seems out of place, but... You know, it, it, it's yeah. it's interesting timing. We've heard, I mean, Microsoft has been accused of trying to monopolize things before. At first, it was going to be operating systems. Um, remember when the Explorer browser was going to be, well, maybe you don't go back far enough, but I remember that. And that didn't work out so well. I mean, Google came along and, you know, they've got Edge now, but it's only a, a tiny fraction of what, uh, what Google gets. So uh, who knows? But as a gamer, uh, is, are, are you concerned that this, that if this, this deal goes through, you're going to be bled dry. I'm I'm concerned with the amount of scale that Microsoft has acquired because this Activision deal isn't the first time in recent years that this has happened. Um, one of my favorite, personally favorite game developers, Bethesda Studios, was acquired by Microsoft a couple years ago, uh, and they put out a lot of really high-grossing games, like maybe you've heard of Skyrim. Uh, that was from Bethesda. Uh, I was okay with that and i will say i was hesitant at first but in the years since i've realized that since i already have game pass it's making it easier for me to access those games but that being said the scale is concerning because of just how many major developers microsoft is purchasing and if you know ultimately if you take this to the to the to the maximum extrapolation you could say that if microsoft gobbles all of them up What's stopping them from charging what they want? Yeah. That's the argument the FTC is making. I, I thought, though, that the, the, it was accepted now by the industry that everybody does better when every game can play on every device. No? That was the trend for a long time, but uh, it, it's putting a large amount of pressure on those publishers and developers to come up with truly unique content. Like I said, if it's available on everywhere then why buy your Xbox? If it's available on every, why buy your PlayStation? And increasingly, very recently, uh, PlayStation exclusives, which were winning awards left and right, like Horizon, Forbidden West, and God of War, those are now available on PC. But isn't that that almost like a, a TV manufacturer selling a TV that can only get CBS? Right? Or they can only play Netflix, not the others. Who would buy a TV like that? 
And that's a good point. And that's that's why the industry started moving away from that. Uh, but now it's almost like that TV manufacturer has to come up with a reason to keep people around. Hmm. See, this is one of the things that, that deters me from even getting involved, because if I've got to buy how many how many different video systems do you have? I, I have I have uh, Xbox, PlayStation, and a gaming PC, but I will tell you that that is more than the average gamer has, I think. I, mean, I think the average gamer has Sullivan, just one. how many do you have? But we've got, the only thing we don't have at the house is an Xbox. We have PlayStation, uh, Wii, we've got the... Uh, the uh, an uh, older version of the PlayStation, which I could, because I only could play NCAA football. And why did you buy all those? Uh, Because, you know, you, eventually I wanted better things as I went. And some of the exclusive content. I mean, I'm a PlayStation guy because I love Ratchet and Clank. It's a great game. <laughs> Unbelievable game. Uh, but uh, God of War too. is also incredible. Uh, but yeah, and what's the other, and what's the, the Switch? We have, we have that as well. And, you know, Tommy, you know, has, you know, took my PlayStation away from me. Uh, he has it in college right now. So I haven't been playing much. But yeah, it's because a lot of those real cool games, and I like the sports games, and they seem to play better for me on the PlayStation. And I started PlayStation early, and Does I just kind of stuck that with many them. inputs. What do you do? You got to unplug cables every time. Yeah, you pretty much. Game? Yeah, yeah. You whatever system you want to play, then you just Jeez. take out that HDMI and you plug in the other one. See, I, this is all new to me because I, I figured if I just bought one powerful enough computer, I could like play any video game I wanted. But now you got to get a box for everything. So increasingly, that Dave is the reality now, but that's ah. changing. So I have a gaming PC. I have one because I stream and I, I do a podcast on the side, you know. Yeah. But I uh, I got a gaming PC and I was surprised at just how many of these ex- these titles that used to be exclusive to PlayStation, they used to be exclusive to the Xbox console. You, it's almost like PC is dominating the market now where you can really get everything almost on a PC. Nintendo is the big asterisk there. Sam Campbell. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Dave. Your daily dose of kindness sponsored by Heritage Homecraft. Three years from fruition to ignition. And the director of Arlington's Food Bank says the new mobile food bank would not be possible without the help and talent of local kids. For today's story, we have Cairo News Radio's Diane Duthweiler. Arlington Food Bank Director Carla Rankin says the local high school staff and students are frequent volunteers. So I explained to them the mobile pantry and they fell in love with it and they believed in it and they took it back to their whole student body. Then the pandemic. Kids are so great today on socials. You know, the pandemic was so new then, and these kids weren't in school. Their very first year of being virtual, they raised the initial startup money to get other people to believe in it and to want to raise funds. And those kids alone online, doing online car washes, online, the drama department did a play. All these things, they raised close to $20,000. The Arlington Food Bank's mobile pantry has just started rolling and just in time. Our monetary donations have decreased significantly. And our need has increased. Rankin tells me pandemic fallout combined with inflation means they have more customers than they've seen in years. The percentage varies each month. Um, We have seen numbers anywhere from 20 to 48 percent higher than the peak of the pandemic. Inflation is up for us, too. The amount that we're spending on food, you know, just going through this holiday is easily 40 percent more than what we spent last year on the holidays. Rankin says no matter the time of year, lack of transit and transportation is a challenge for people in rural areas. People who are suffering from food insecurity don't have the gas to come to the food bank. 
to be able to finally get the food out to the people, kind of meeting people where they are, just seeing a dream come true. It's been great. It is a full grocery store on wheels. I mean, we just lift up the side and there's refrigeration in the back and all our pantry items. It still gets me emotional. And so Arlington High School is on um, branded on the side of the truck and they are forever kind of the reason um, they kind of got behind the crazy idea of having the truck and it's here because of them. Arlington's food bank manager says after taking the truck to Oso's fire station a few times, the fire chief is helping explore whether high school kids can make deliveries from the truck to people who can't get to the station. 748 and now from the G and Ursula show, which starts at nine. Here he is, G. Scott, to explain what happened Sunday. I think I know it, isn't it? Somewhere in the Bible, I can't quote the verse, but it says, don't expect to win a football game if you throw two interceptions. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that, that, that's true. Uh, the yeah. Seahawks did not start off very well, uh, throwing two interceptions early on in the first half, and then you could see that they got things together. Um, in order to be successful in an NFL, in the months of December and January, which, by the way, if there's any time uh, to be really good and peak at the right time is during the months of December and January. To do that, you need to do two things. First, you need to be able to run the ball. Second, you need to be able to stop the run. (laughs) Right. And what's been happening lately right now, and and I'm going to go ahead and address the elephant in the room. The Seahawks are not really good at stopping the run. Uh, A lot of uh, this season alone, a lot of running backs, a lot of uh, even the quarterback, Kyler Murray, a lot of people have had career highs against the Seahawks running the ball. And right now, no, it's not good. It's not good that they lost that game at home. It's not good that they lost that game against the Falcons at home. It's not good that they lost to the Raiders at home. And then, of course, you look, they lost to Tampa Bay out there in Germany. All of the NFC South teams... The Seahawks have lost to because they run the ball effectively, they, 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 and we can't stop the ball. We have not been been able to stop. I feel the like run. since Marshawn Lynch, we have not been able. To, is that true? <laughs> well, no, well, 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 no, no, right? no. The Seahawks right now are missing their top two. They're okay. missing. They're missing DJ it's Dallas, simply. and they're missing K nine Kenneth Walker the third. So that hurts as well. But it, really, the Achilles' heel is being able to stop the run. And look. The Seahawks turn around real fast. On Thursday night, there's a game. The San Francisco 49ers are coming into town. And I'm going to tell you something. I saw something in the San Francisco 49ers yesterday that scares me so much. And I see it. I see it happening. And the interesting thing is they did it against a guy that I saw this happen to. Years ago, 20 plus years ago, Tom Brady took over. Uh, He was the new quarterback, right, for uh, the injured quarterback that they had at the time. And Tom Brady never let go of that position. Right now, there's this guy by the name of Brock Purdy who is, right, you probably, oh, I've never heard of Brock Purdy. heard of Brock Purdy. Just remember that. Here he comes in, and he is, because right now Jimmy Garoppolo is hurt, and he was the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. He was incredible. Oh, I mean, it is Tom Brady all over again. It's just a feeling I have. I'm not saying he's going to go on and win all these Super Bowls. Young guy. I'm young guy, back Mm -hmm. up. Nobody's heard his name. You've never heard his (laughs) name. And I'm telling you, it was 35-3 to San Francisco over Tampa Bay at one point in the game. So is Garoppolo like, uh uh-oh. 
Yeah. I mean, Garoppolo was like, uh-oh, when they drafted Trey Lance in the beginning of the season. I think Trey Lance is like, uh-oh. Oh. Right? <laughs> it like, goes yeah. that deep, huh? I think all the quarterbacks are like, uh-oh. And the San Francisco 49ers are like, uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh, yes. Well, okay. I think I saw Garoppolo has that subway money now, so I think he'll be okay. Yeah, but but uh, this Brock Purdy, this this backup quarterback, look him up. I'm not even like, gee, who is this guy? I'll look him I up. don't know. But I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you what I saw. And I'm looking out there. Oh, let me watch a little bit more of this. This guy is good. Now, what does Look that mean? Look at his for- wholesome little face. He is, <laughs> he is young. What He's is, 22. What does this mean for He's the Seahawks? Baby. This means that this is a very important game for them to get to win here at uh, Lumen Field. Remember home field advantage? Remember mm-hmm. what it used to be like where the Seahawks, like they really always won yeah. at home? Well, that needs to start happening, right? There are four games left in the season. Three of those games are at home. You have this Thursday at home. Then after this Thursday's game, you go on the road and play against the Kansas City Chiefs. Then you come back to the crib. That's home, Dave. And you play against the Jets. <laughs> and you play against the Rams. Maybe if we could get, like, we need to remember how to be loud. Maybe the pandemic, we all just got kind of quiet. Quiet and ice. We forgot how to get loud. How is how's the vibe there? I haven't no, been to a game no, this season. I got I got to tell you, we still the, have the, it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's just not I got to tell you, nah. The, the vibe is still there. Okay. The pregame vibe, during the game vibe. Folks is losing their minds on third downs. Nah. This is this is one of those where Pete Carroll. And I'm not trying to tell them how to coach. I'm sure Pete Carroll knows what to do. But this is one of those that they just gonna have to look in the mirror and say, Yo, 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 yo. We getting. <laughs> We getting beat up out here on the field. Yeah. Like it ain't all, all forget all the plays, forget all the fancy, forget all of these things. We need to stop the person with the football. Yeah, yeah. We need to stop that person from running and getting into the end zone. Mm-hmm. That's just something. But I hear Patrick Mahomes ran all over the Broncos over the weekend, so that's too bad. I got it's, you know what? I, usually a Broncos loss would make me feel better. We're, I'm I'm past that now. I the, the, the Broncos are ten and are, excuse me are three and ten. Uh, it's really bad for them. It's really bad for Russell. But yesterday, not even that can make me feel better. I was. Yo, your boy took out uh, some ice cream. It ate ice cream last night. Like that, 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 that loss <laughs> that to the Carolina bad. Panthers was rough. But you know what makes me feel better? Hanging out with y'all. Love y'all. Aww, of course. I love you too, G. It is. Congratulations seven. on winning the auction, by the way. Yeah, right. We'll talk about that. We're for later. all winners. Don't you understand? We're all in one big tent Whatever, here. Man. Whatever. One big tent. Remember? Yes. <laughs> Seattle's morning news. Our local housing market has been cooling recently, but that doesn't mean there's much more affordable housing. As we hear from Windermere Chief Economist Matthew Gardner. As much as the low-income housing, uh, there's a lot of great low-income housing providers out there, but they're competing for the land market rate developers. So Lehigh and Plymouth and Bellwether, uh, it's very, very hard for them to do that. They have a, a remarkably important job. But on top of that, as I mentioned, you also have to look at people who are renters, that do want to become owners, that are firefighters, they're teachers, they're mm-hmm. nurses. Uh, that just cannot get their, their foot on the first rung of the ladder. Right. And it is so important. Yeah, and it sounds like no relief in the near future either, based on your predictions for next spring. Not in the near future. I I think the legislature um, in Olympia is going to be trying to take another look at housing um, and how it can be addressed, both from the homeless uh, situation as well as creating more affordable housing uh, programs out there or products out there. So I think it it has got the attention of some of our legislators. Um, How far it will go, 
Who knows? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Depends think, on how think, in the mood for arguing they are. Exactly. Now, Fingers in, crossed. In addition, we've got families unable to really save for that down payment, which can be astronomical. We've got inflation. We've got gas prices. We've got all the other creature comforts and the holidays where people are spending massive amounts of money, oftentimes when they don't have it. So they're using credit. How is the economy looking in, in regards to inflation and, and the price of goods, everyday goods? Well, if you think about it, a couple of things, one of which is uh, if you look at uh, how you borrow money, mortgages and the like. So Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, I mean, you can now get a mortgage with a 3% down payment and they adjust the limit uh, which they can lend money every year. And in King County, it's now above a million dollars. So you can get invested with a 3% uh, down payment. Not saying you should, but uh, it can be done. But as you said, yeah, I mean, inflation, as I've said to you and Dave before, it, I think it's peaked. Uh, it, but it's okay. going to take a long time to come down. What do you mean by long time? Uh, we probably won't be down at that normal 2% long-term average until sometime in 2024. Oh, so, my. But it's, still, it's not going to be up at 7 8, yeah. 8.5%. This is sort of the high watermark right we, here? Yeah, we've actually okay. seen the high watermark a couple of months ago. Oh, so good. we've been trending down through this quarter. And that will continue. The Fed is going to continue to do all it can uh, to push back on inflation. That means they can raise the Fed funds rate, which they're going to keep on doing. Mm-hmm. So that is good in terms of inflation. However, every time the Fed has done this to stave off inflation or to slow down the economy, what happens? We have a recession. Mm -hmm. And that is, quite frankly, on the cards for next year. What type of recession are we talking here? Very boring. Very Um, boring one. Hey, I like boring recessions. I don't want to go back to 08, 09. Exactly. You mentioned the R word. Yeah. Everyone immediately goes back to 2008. Scary. No, not like that. Yeah, that was abnormal. Massively abnormal. Won't be like 2000 either, which was very hard for us here. It was the dot com recession. Mm. It's going to feel a lot like the uh, early 1990 recession. So very modest, a uh, mm. couple of quarters of negative growth across the country. We'll probably lose one and a half million jobs, give or take. Mm. Unemployment rate will probably peak even well, about five and a half percent. So oh, not that still a lot, bad. though. I mean... Well, it is, but we're still knocking around an all-time post-World War II low right now. Okay. And it's because the labour market is so tight, we will see that level rise, but we're not going to be back up in 10, 12, 14 percent unemployment, which we have seen certainly before. So it's going to be a slowdown. It's going to happen. America's had a lot of recessions in its past. It's mm-hmm. going to have more in its future. But it's, uh, it's quite likely. It's not guaranteed, but historically speaking... When the Fed jumps in uh, to try and cool things down, they tend to start raising interest rates too late and they tend to carry on raising them too long. Mm. And that's what drives the economy into a, a cyclical downturn. That I think is quite likely, but nothing for everyone to get panic stricken about. Well, and you mentioned, you know, the dot com recession and we're seeing the tech layoffs here in Seattle, 10,000 from Amazon. I think Google is laying off people. The tech industry is starting to t- tighten their purse strings. Uh, what does that signal to you? Well, the fact that they basically ignored uh, the pandemic. They lost a few hundred jobs uh, here in King County, about tens of thousands since. So if you put it this way, even if you were to take that 10,000, let's say, from Amazon, and let's say that all those layoffs were in Seattle, uh, where they employ in our region about 72,000 people. Well, it still would only take us back a year or so in terms of total employment. So we are going to see some corrections there, but they really, quite frankly, um, 
recovered all the jobs lost in a month, mm -hmm. uh, added on tens of thousands since then. So they're now realising that perhaps they just want to trim some of the fat. Okay. Um, that is going to have an impact, as it always does. But is it something we should be panic-stricken about? I, I don't see it. Okay, so you're seeing this more of a correction than you are an indication of what's to come. Oh, absolutely. Tech is not going to go away, whether we want it to or not. That's comforting. It's yeah, maybe they can get those salaries under control and share the wealth, huh? Boy. That would be nice. Some of that money. Where do you go from there when you graduate from college and you're already making six figures plus? Where do you go from there? I don't know how you grow your income when you start at such a high rate. Uh, or maybe I just have no imagination for what you can make in tech. <laughs> I'm a journalist. <laughs> well, yes. I would say don't go into crypto. No, um, yeah. I, I think in terms of tech, well, yes, some come to lay off, but at the same time, you're going to find other companies are going to be hiring as well. For sure. But also, we have been uh, overly reliant, certainly have a significant reliance on the tech sector. But I think we've been kind of ignoring biotechnology. Mm. And we're, we're seeing big biotech. Big, we're seeing a number too. of buildings under construction today yeah. uh, in that biotech space. And I think that's remarkably exciting. And I think that we're going to see that uh, business those business entities really continue to grow. And uh, we are the fastest growing biotech sector in the nation mm -hmm. here in Seattle. I think about Fred Hutch and, yeah, and, and, and Seattle course. Cancer Care Alliance. So that is something which I, I think will probably backfill some of the, those job losses. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I'm excited about biotech. And I really think we're going to find a cure for a form of cancer um, we're within the next five years. My so, goodness. A you're form, just fine. I'm feeling so much more hopeful after talking to you today. <laughs> I got handed all of your, you know, sheets of numbers, the MLS and all of that. And I came in here thinking we were going to talk about high housing prices, bad inflation, you know, no end in sight. And you're telling me, hey, we're going to have a recession. You know, it's not going to be that bad. It, the jobs will come back. Everybody's going to be okay. It, it will be in general. I, okay. My glass half full, yes, I am. Uh, I think it'd be interesting to see through the course of next year as we get back to a more uh, reality-based economy given post-COVID, mm -hmm. which is almost three years ago now, believe it or not. And so I, I think it's going to be hard to see some adjustments, uh, but is it something which is going to take all of us back to that 2007, 2008 yeah. period that we all remember, whether it be employment or housing? Now, I just don't see that happening. All rainbows and unicorns. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930. And if you subscribe, you will never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.